have a Bible nearby, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1 together. Last week, well let me say this first, it's pretty awesome to hear a whole room of people screaming that they're alive. Um, That's good stuff. 1 Peter chapter 1, that's where we're going to be in a few minutes. Um, Last week, we looked at at the fact that God is unchangeable. and that seems obvious, I guess, uh, to a degree, that he, you know, he doesn't change. But, but I think sometimes we kind of slip into this idea that maybe he kind of does change, or sometimes we kind of wonder it, stuff like that. Uh, Wayne Grudem is a theologian, and, and he describes or explains the unchangeable nature of God in, in regard to four areas of, of, of God. His, his being... So he is unchangeable in, in who he is. And by that, it's really just like another way of saying that, um, you know, you and I, we, we progress. You know, we change, we mature, we, um, we get uh, better at some things and maybe worse at other things. There's just always this changing nature of you and I and our being. Uh, God doesn't ever change in his being. He can't get better than he is because there's no such thing as better than he is. So he can't mature, he can't figure himself out, you know, more, and he can't, you know, he, he just, he, there's no progressive nature with God at all. He also can't, uh, he can't get any worse, you know, so you and I, we can get better or get worse, and God is just, he is exactly who he is. There's, there's nothing, nothing greater for him to aspire to because he's, is the greatest that could be. And so him, just in his being, there is no change with him. Um, another thing that Grudem points out is that God is unchanging in his plans, that when God uh, sets his mind to something, when he's determined to uh, carry something out, he always gets it done. Um, so there's no changing his mind there. There's no changing his mind. Um, I'm sorry, there's no change in his promises, that when he looks at you and, and me and through the scriptures, he tells us, I will never leave you or forsake you, and that nothing can separate us from his love. He stands by that. Uh, he's not like men who, who can, can lie or go back on their word or anything like that. He is unchanging. That when he has promised us something, he gets it done. Um, and the fourth thing that Grudem points out is that God is unchanging in his attributes. And that's kind of where we're going to camp out a little bit more tonight. Um, that, that in God's character, he does not change at all. And so the, the way that last Sunday and this Sunday... I fit into the previous weeks, and it fits in really into what we're doing together this fall, is that we're looking at uh, patterns of the world in regard to uh, how we think about different things. And we spent a few weeks looking at how, um, how in, the, in the world there are certain ways of thinking about God and who He is. And because we live in the world, we go to work, and we watch television, and we just interact socially, and there's, a, there's all this entertainment. And um, because of, of everything that He has sent us into the world... We are all the time around people who, who think different ways about different things. And God is one of those, one of those things that people have a perception of. Um, and so Paul says, don't conform to those patterns. Don't conform to the way that the fallen world uh, thinks. And so when we talk about the world, that's essentially what we're talking about. Is it's, it's the attitude 
of, of, of those who are, um, who are not in Christ. It's the attitude that the world has. It's the worldview. It's the lens through which they look at things and interpret things. And all that stuff has been discolored by sin. And so when we're out there, there are wrong ways of thinking about God and about ourselves and about community and about truth and about all these things. So Paul, is, he warns us in, um, in Romans 12, he says, don't conform to those patterns. He says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so learning how to think differently, that transforms our lives. And so we've kind of been looking at those two things, looking at some of the patterns that the world has of, as far as thinking about God and, and what, the, what a renewed mind perspective, what a kingdom of God perspective is on those things. And, and as, we are, as our minds are renewed and we think differently, our lives are transformed. And that's when we begin to live those peculiar lives that don't really gel with culture very well. Not in a combative way, but just in a way that we're just kind of different, kind of peculiar, like we've been talking about in our small groups. And so last week... Been talking about God being unchangeable, the pattern that we were that we were like weighing that against is the fact that sometimes people out in the world they think that God is just you just kind of make him into whatever whatever you want him to be. That he's real flexible, you know, and so that God can can be one way for you and one way for you and one way for you and one way for me, and we're all kind of right and it's all okay. And in different situations, you know, God kind of comes in to 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 play different roles and stuff like that. And, and just this idea that he's just, real, he's just a lot of flexibility in, in who God is. And so we weighed that against what Scripture tells us, was that no, there is no flexibility in who God is. He is unchanging in all, in all of those ways. He's just completely consistent within himself. And sometimes we slip into that pattern, and it affects how we think about God, and we think about him in incorrect ways. So tonight, as we look at him, at, at his attributes, I really want us just to draw in to how the character of God is something that, that tends to have a lot of ebb and flow to it. And I think there are two ways that this pattern shows up the most in the world, and also sometimes, we're, if we're not careful, we slip into it. One is, um, it's just kind of this idea that you can like, just like pick and choose different attributes of God. You know? like, like when you go to Subway, and you're like, they're like, you know, what do you want? And you tell them what you want. And then they say, do you want it toasted? And you're like, yes or no. And like, you want cheese on it? Yes or no. And what, do you want, what else do you want on it? And you're like, I want this, I want this, I want this. I don't want that, I want that. Just a little bit of this. Maybe give me that on the side. You know, whatever. That there's some, somehow there's this, this mindset kind of like that with, with God, you know, of saying, um, you know, saying like, I'll take, uh, I like that he's loving. Uh, I like he, he's compassionate. I'll take Psalm 23. Um, I'll take John 3.16. Those are all good. Uh, I don't really want to take, uh, you can hold the wrath and uh, hold, the, uh, hold the, um, the lordship. Well, I'll tell you what, give me lordship on the side, because sometimes that's good. So, but I want to be able to add it you know, as, as I want to. Uh, we just kind of pick and choose these different attributes of God to kind of form this like, God that we're comfortable with, that we like. You know? That's how some people outside the, of, of the kingdom of God look at at God, and, and that's their approach to Christianity and faith and all that kind of stuff. Is that you, you know, take some things, not some other things. Doesn't really matter. God's a nice guy, so he, he he'll be okay with that or whatever. So that's kind of one pattern where it shows up. The other one, though, I think is a little. It's it's a lot more subtle because that the subway kind of method seems a little bit intentional. Um, but this one, the second one, is is like more subtle, and it, I think the best way to describe it is just, just projection. This is how projection works. If, um, 
if somebody comes uh, comes to me and uh, there's um, Let's say, let's say a college student's like, hey, I need to meet with you. And we sit down with a meeting, and they had been dating somebody, and they broke up or whatever. Um, if, if my response to them is completely based on how I would feel in their shoes, that's projection. So I'm taking how I would feel in their situation, and I project that onto them. And then everything I do from that point on is, uh, is based off of that. That's, that's kind of what projection is. Or if... If let's say that the college student I, I met with was a was it was a female, and let's say that six months later um, another guy starts to show interest, and she like just won't even have it because she was hurt from the other guy, and because he hurt her, all men will will hurt her. She's projecting onto all men what happened to this one guy who broke her heart, that kind of stuff. That's that's basically what projection is, um, and the way that it works with God is that we take. Uh, what, what we understand these attributes to look like sometimes, and we take that and we throw that onto him. Um, I used the, the illustration a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were talking about Jesus take the wheel, talking about that. Um, we were. And uh, projection is when I was talking about, like basically the Jesus take the wheel sermon is essentially is the fact that, that people look at God as he's like, your, he's like a genie or like a safety net or, or Superman or someone that he just comes in when you're in trouble. And he swoops in and makes everything better, and then he like goes back away until you like get in a bind again. And how that is like what we're projecting onto God in that sense is that is that God is this He's like this powerful being, right? And everything we know about powerful people is that they don't have time for little like little insignificant troubles, you know. So Donald Trump is a wealthy, powerful guy in our country, right? And because he's so powerful, he doesn't have time to worry about the fact that in one of his companies, there's two guys in the mailroom that are, like, aren't getting along. Right? He doesn't have time for that. That's not a CEO-level problem. He just wants to handle like, the big stuff, and so you don't bother him with the little stuff. So we see that. That's how powerful relationships work. We see that with powerful people and politicians and the wealthy and those who, who are kind of like the captains of industry and all those kinds of things. They don't really care... Honestly, no matter what they tell you, they don't care about what's happening at the lower levels of society. They just care about the big stuff. We take that and we project that onto God sometimes without even knowing it. We're like, whoa, okay, well, God's kind of, he's kind of got his hands full with like the Middle East, you know, and getting the Bible to unreached people groups and making sure the missionaries are okay. And he's kind of like taking care of this, like this whole like, kingdom of God, evangelism thing, all that, he probably doesn't really care that like me and my best friend are, are just not really getting along right now. And what happens when, when that projection is there, um, a, lot, a lot of times it's, you know, it's not intentional. We don't really realize it's there until somebody says, well, have you been praying about this conflict? And you're like, no, I haven't. And so prayerlessness is the fruit of, of that kind of that pattern and that projection that's happening. And so when we're prayerless, it's because somewhere in the way we're thinking, we really are convinced that God doesn't really care about that little stuff. He's just there to handle the big stuff. So we take this big God who can handle everything, 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 when we make him very, very small in the sense that he only wants to handle the big stuff. That's projection. And I think it happens all the time in, like, with the character of God and who he is. And the thing about it being so subtle is like we, a lot of times we don't, really, we don't really understand it. And if I was to survey most of you, you probably wouldn't say, you know, like, no, no, like, I like, I, I kind of like, 
uh, I kind of take that subway approach to God. I like some things and not others. Or no, like I take human attributes and project that onto him, and then that's my reasoning for kind of not praying or not submitting or not loving him or kind of like not having a lot of faith in him or whatever. Most of us would not be aware of that at first. But I think sometimes that the fruit of our lives, it indicates other things. It's like the prayerlessness thing. You probably wouldn't say, yeah, yeah, I see God as a CEO or like a genie or whatever, until, until you're asked the question, well, tell me about your prayer life. And you're like, well, See, somewhere in there, there's some wrong thinking. Now, it may not be projection. It may not be the subway thing. It may not be the CEO deal. But if you're, the fruit that's being produced by your life is not what God tells us that a fruit-filled life, that the Spirit, of the, the, the spirit produces enough, is that, that's not happening. Somewhere in there, there's some thinking that's not quite right. And most of the time, it has to do with how we're thinking about God and His character and His attributes. And so no matter what the, what the, the specific way it's showing up, that's the real problem, is that we don't think correctly and why this is so dangerous is because when you pick and choose or you project or any of the other things that we're talking about, any sort of distorted view and way of thinking about God, what we're basically doing is we're creating, we're creating an idol. When I was a kid, uh, I grew up at Zor Baptist, and um, the, the Sunday school literature that we use, it never said idol. It always said false god. And I guess because when you think idol, you think like a statue, you know. When you think false god, for some reason it has a different connotation. And I think that's, that's where this pattern ultimately gets us. Is if we're able to in any way distort who God really is, we end up with a false god. We end up with an idol. And that always leads to bad things. It always does. And so if... if Paul is saying, don't be conformed to the patterns of the world. We have, to, we have to perk up a little bit and recognize the fact that we live in a world that has all kind of weird understandings about who God is. And sometimes that stuff kind of seeps into our lives and our way of thinking. And the awesome thing about false gods is that the real God is constantly trying to correct that. He's constantly saying, no, no, this, this is who I really am. Let me reveal to you exactly, exactly who I am, what I'm like. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to put this together. You, know? you look over history at all the, um, all the like, mythology and all these things, and people who are making their own gods, and they're always in like, the image of men and all these different ways, and they're always, it's always weird. It's just always strange. And here's the one true God saying, no, there's, there, can, there doesn't have to be a mystery. I mean, some things are mysterious, but it's not a mystery. You can know the real God. You don't have to create something in your mind. And so that's the, real, that's the, the pattern for tonight, is that we are the ones that define God. That's the mentality that exists out there so much, is God is whoever you make Him into. And however you're thinking about Him at the moment, that's the right way to do it. And so what we do is we, look, we acknowledge that that's a pattern, but really we go to the real deal we say, okay, if, if the pattern is that man defines God, what's the renewed mind perspective? What's going to be the transforming truth that exists? And that is that God defines himself. 
He is the definer of himself. Now look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Okay, so just notice how much this parallels Romans 12 for us. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Okay, there's your thinking. That's the, the thinking that we're going for, and that's the, that's the problem, and that's also the solution. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, we talked about this in our groups this week, that, we, that our roots are in the future, and the branches are in the present. That we're a, we're a people who we're, we're rooted in another world, that that our future with Christ and the redemption of all things and the making of all things new, that's, that's where our hope rests. And then that actually reaches into our present to making a difference. And so he's saying, get your minds ready. Be sober-minded. Okay, like Be clued into what you're doing. And, and have your hope thrown way into the future on what Jesus has done and where He's taking us. We have to think that way. And then he says... As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Okay? That's kind of a more harsh way of saying what Paul said. Paul said, don't be conformed to the patterns of the world. And Peter's just going to call us ignorant. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Okay? Now, he's not calling us names. He's saying, before, you were ignorant to the truth. So, patterns of the world just made sense. Those passions and all those things and all, the, all that we're talking about, it made sense at one point. But now, now that you know who Jesus is, and now that your hope is set on Him, and our faith is put in Him and Jesus and what He has done, and we're learning to love one another, we're learning to live in the kingdom, He said, don't be conformed to, like, to when, back when you were ignorant. Don't act like you did then, because now you, you just you know before you didn't know, now you know. So quit conforming to those patterns of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's the, that's the renewed mind. That's the answer to, this, to all this stuff really we've been talking about. Is if we want to think about God correctly, there's all, that we have to recognize that there's all these patterns that are out there, wrong ways of thinking about Him, that we define Him, that He's flexible and can change and He can kind of morph into all this kind of stuff. We can kind of make Him, make him into whatever we want, that He's there to come in when we're in trouble, and then you just say, Jesus, take the wheel, and He takes the wheel, and then He gives the wheel back to you. And all those kinds of things really come down to the fact that we don't understand that God has defined Himself. And the world is, always, is constantly trying to understand Him and define Him instead of just submitting to what, how He has already defined Himself in that one word, which is holy. And so all those patterns get trumped by this one renewed thought. That God is holy. He's holy. And learning to think like that, preparing our minds for action in that, being sober-minded in that, Understanding that God is holy, that brings about transformation. There are things that follow when we understand it. So when God says in that verse, verse 16, You shall be holy, for I am holy. 
Right? Quoting Leviticus 11.44, we see it in Isaiah 6, we see it in Revelation 4, that that's what the angels are, are declaring. There's this idea all throughout the Bible that God is, is holy. And I think that we struggle to really like, get that. Because holiness is something that's it's foreign to us. But it's not the, not the, for, the kind of foreign to us that you can just dismiss. It's foreign to us in the sense that that's what awaits us in the future. Like we're moving in a direction of understanding that more and more and more and more. And then that'll be something that that's just, it just, we're immersed in it at some point. And so it's not something we should just dismiss and say, well, I, I'll never really get holiness anyway, so what's the point? No, that's, that's, our, that's us. That's our, everything in front of us. We need to understand it. So what does holy mean? Um, when we see the word holy, we have to get to where our, our renewed mind automatically brings in the concept of being separate. It's separate. Um, so we've used these examples before. This comes from Grudem as well. Uh, you, think about, you think about the Sabbath. God says, remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Keep it separate. Sabbath is it's separate from the other six days. It's different. It's that separation that's there. We 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 call the Bible the Holy Bible because it's not like it's separate. It's different from other books. Things that are holy, they're they're set apart. They're they're different. And so when when God says that He is holy, He a part of what He's communicating to us is that He is set apart from everything else. It's, it, it's a literal like cutting away, you know. R.C. Sproul, he explains it, he says, when, we, when you find something that's exceptional, you say it's a cut above. And that's just kind of a, really just a shadow of what God's really saying. It's not just, he's, he's not just a cut above, he's cut away and completely, completely different. And that's a part of what makes it so hard to understand, because he's other. I mean, all we know is this, is this world, and yet he's revealing that holiness to us. Almost, I feel like, like in little drops. Because I don't think we could handle it all at one time. I think we would just explode. So he is set apart. He's separate. And so that's some of, that's some of what makes the, the subway approach like such a dangerous thing. Is that here you are picking and choosing and trying to form this God. But you're picking and choosing from one who is holy. Like you can't, you can't change that holiness. Like he is in fullness exactly who he is all the time. And so it's a, it's a complete farce if you think that you can really do that. And you say, well, I don't really think God's like that. I think God's like this. I think He's more like this. When the reality is, like he, we just have to look at what, how He reveals His character here. And I know that, that that puts a lot of faith that the Bible is, is correct. And I get that. And I'm, I'm not going to launch into like a, all the reasons why the Bible is, is reliable and believable and all that kind of stuff. But just know that, that faith and trust in the unseen, a part of that is just being able to look at this and say, I believe that, this, that what this says is right. And there are going to be people that will try and discount that and give us reasons to not believe it and, and whatever. But for you and I, it really needs to come down to what do you, what do you believe about the Scriptures? And so and the, the subway approach is really kind of futile because we just need to go, go to this and say, okay, well, this God is separate and there's no changing Him. 
And also, it doesn't make sense when you think about like projection, like God being separate. We're trying to project, take human qualities and project onto someone who is separate and other. So it, it makes sense if we're trying to, if we're projecting from one human to another human. Okay, that at least you can follow that. But here we are trying to project human qualities onto some, onto the holy God of the universe who's separate and other. It just it doesn't make sense at all. In a different sense, he's separate, like a, he's separate from sin. So he's he's other, like he's he's cut away, he's separate from everything. But there's sin has not affected him and his character the way it has affected us and our character. See, we're we're progressively being matured and, and grown into the, the image of Christ as we follow our rabbi. Right? As we abide and the fruit comes out of our lives and He's changing us, we're being renewed more and more into His image. Because our, our character, our attributes have been discolored by sin. Jesus has come, renewed our hearts, He's renewing our minds, He's purifying and working out all those after effects of sin. But that, he, that didn't affect Him in that way. His character was, was not impacted the way that your character was and the way mine was. So as I said, him being unchangeable, he doesn't need to get any better. And so projection is kind of silly when you think about it. So he's separate. He's other. He's unlike anything else. And he's separate from sin. But I don't know about you, but that, that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. So if the, if the key to us renewing our minds and being able to think differently about God really comes down to being able to, to sing that God is holy and to fully get that, then I'm kind of in trouble, I think. Because I, even in that description, it kind of makes sense on paper. You know, I'm not saying it just made sense in my explanation, but if you could hear it from somebody better, it would kind of make sense. But when it comes to like applying it, you know, when it's like a Tuesday afternoon... Sometimes, like, I, think, I just think it's difficult. Because we don't, we don't really experience that. So God's saying He's other. It's like, well, great. What's He like? Oh, He's not like anything. Okay. But because God's awesome, and He knows that we, we're going to struggle to understand what that's like, again, He's handed us this book, and He's made sure that we would get it, and he says that his spirit will infuse it. So when we read it and it makes sense, it's not because you're, we're super smart or because someone's a really good teacher. It's because this, his spirit uh, is, is interpreting this for us and teaching us. We don't understand what holiness looks like, so he gives us like 1,500 years of examples. He's got like 40 different authors and most of them never met each other different languages, different continents. Yet one consistent theme through the whole thing to help us understand what holiness means. That when God says, I'm not like anything that you've ever seen or experienced. I'm completely other. And we're like, what? are like, oh, okay, now I see. If you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. 
And so when we look at Jesus, it helps us understand what holiness in action looks like. Holiness in action, another way of saying that is righteousness. And so when we're thinking about God and, and, and culture is, is saying, you know, the pattern of the world is, like, we kind of define God and you can define him however you want and all that. What we're saying, the renewed mind is, no, God has defined himself. And he has defined himself as being holy. And even though I'm not 100% sure all the time what that looks like, I have a pretty good idea because I see him all throughout here and I see Jesus. And also, he's just proven himself to be holy. So go to, go to Galatians 5. Let me run through this really quickly. Galatians 5. We can't make God into our own image. God defines himself. And he describes in Galatians 5 the kind of life that his spirit uh, produces. That when we are abiding and we're living from God, like the branch of a tree is living from the trunk of the tree, we're connected through Christ and his life flows into us. Just like the roots of a tree, they draw up the water and nutrients and they pass it up through the trunk into the branch. That's what God does in us and the fruit appears on the end of the branch. That's what God is producing in us all the time. And so what this essentially is saying is that when, when you are abiding and the Spirit is the one who is leading you forward and you're being obedient, that that life source flows from the trunk into you as a branch and that fruit shows up. And it's proof of who God is. You look, at a, you look at an apple tree and you know it's an apple tree because there's apples on it. Plain and simple. And we're the same way. And so holiness, if God says I'm making you more and more into my image, then we can look at the fruit of the Spirit and not only see what our lives, where our lives are going and the kind of people He's making us into, but if He's making us into Himself, we can look at these things that are listed and say, okay, so God, that's, how, that's what God's like. So holiness looks like the fruit of the Spirit. He's other, and he's separate, separate from everything else, but also separate from sin. And so look at, look at what it says in Galatians 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Look at, look at 22 again. Look at that list. If you want to know what holiness looks like, this is a, this is a pretty good, like, tangible way to think of it. But we can't project. And we can't pick and choose. And so when he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, we're talking about like agape love. We're not talking about love like a lot of, of us experience on the earth. We're talking about a love that is separate it's unlike anything on earth, and it is unaffected by sin. See, we, we experience love, I think, in some very pure forms. But there's also, there's also there's just that discoloration of sin that's in there in our world, where a lot of times love is conditional, or it is uh, you know, kind, of, um, kind of seasonal you know, in some ways, and sometimes you feel love for people, and other times you don't feel love for people. And sometimes the ones who love you also hurt you really badly. And um, sometimes where love exists, there's also a lot of pain. And there's just a lot of things about love. We can't, we don't, we can't project that onto God. We can't take what, 
what we experience in a horizontal, like interpersonal sense, and then say, oh, so if God is love, he's, he's like this. He's just a little bit better. He's a little bit better at it than us. No, it's, it's a completely different kind of love. And sometimes we say unconditional love, there's, there's no such thing. Well, that's a pattern of the world. But if we understand that God is holy, and there's no sin in His love, and we understand that His love, that agape love, is one that acts for the needs of someone else. And there's no weird motive, and there's, no, there's nothing, it's just completely pure, completely other. That renewed mind transforms our lives. And it's easier, it's easier to see how God really does love us. It's easier to look at what Jesus did on the cross and see that as love. And that transforms us. So we have to understand that God is holy, so His love is holy. So in front of each one of these things, you could put the word holy in. Holy love, holy joy, holy peace. Holy, you could just go down that list. And that tells us who God is and also tells us who He's making us into. Uh, fruit of Spirit is love. Uh, joy. That you and I, you know, we kind of get joy and happiness kind of intermingled and stuff. But for God, like a lot of people think that God's like just mad all the time, you know? Just angry and trying to keep people from having fun and whatever. John Ortberg, he says, there is, there's no being in the universe that's more joyful than God. And like if you really read the Bible, I mean, he's constantly telling people to celebrate and to like throw parties and enjoy creation and enjoy one another and enjoy him. And from enjoying him flows all those other things. So joy really comes from love. And his joy, it's a holy joy. It's different, different than what we experience. And there's no sin in it. And I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that he's joyful because he knows how it's going to end. He sees the end from the beginning, like we talked about a few weeks ago. He gets it. Our, our joy, there's a, probably a ton of reasons why we struggle with joy, but I think a lot of it is because we're, we're so bad at living in the future. God sees it all at once, and it's, it's awesome. So His joy is holy, and that's what holiness looks like in real life. There's joy. Same thing with peace. Because he knows how everything's going to end, he knows all the outcomes, and he knows all the glory that's going to come his way, there's just this real shalom that comes with him. But there's, no, there's no dissonance within God. Within the Trinity, there's, no, there's, no, there's just no weirdness. There's just always, always, um, things are just resonating perfectly between them. Because he's different. And there's no sin. Patience. When it says patience, like you can't just be like, okay, who's the most patient person I know? And then like, that's this is the most patient person you know. God's like, there. He's like just a little more patient than that person is. No, because even the most patient person you know has to like muster up patience. Has to dig in and abide and let the patience of God flow into his or her life to make him patient. God doesn't have to dig deep with us and be like, oh man. He doesn't have to like stop and like count to ten, take a deep breath, you know. He's just naturally patient because he's separate. 
There's no sin in him. We get impatient with people because they're slowing us down. We got things to do. Or because you're frustrated, you're like, I don't know if this person's ever going to get it. God doesn't do that. He doesn't run out of patience with us. Again, I think because he sees the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to come. And he's like, cool, y'all just need to like chill out. It's going to be fine. He's incredibly patient. It's a holy patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Kindness and goodness, they seem the same. Kindness, uh, well, let, me, let me read you what I wrote down. Uh, the Greek word that's used there, it talks about, uh, it's kind of kindness that kind of puts you at ease and draws you in. So again, you don't think about the most kind person you know and just bump it up a little bit. That kindness, I think it connects to peace. We're like, okay, God's being very kind to me and helping me just settle down about this. He's letting me experience His peace and that kind of has a way of drawing me in. It's not like the most kind person you know. He's other, he's separate from that because even the most kind person you know struggles with sin. Goodness. Goodness is always acting in a way that's, that's best for the person. And that's, that's what a lot of people struggle with because you, you know, the, one of the patterns that I thought about going over was like, well, God can't be good because of this. You know? God, did, God let this happen. God did this, 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 this. So therefore, God cannot be good. It's, that's messy. And I get it. And, I, and it's not in every situation. There's not a 10-second answer that's going to just make everything okay. But let me just try and, and give one. God always does what is best for us. He doesn't always do what we think we need. And that's why there's a difference between somebody saying, or between the, the, the thinking of, God is whoever I need Him to be in the moment, which is false. And the truth is, God always does what is best for me. Because needs, that originates on our end. Goodness originates on His end. And so we think we need, I need God to be this and this and this and this and this. And God's like, you know, you don't need that. What you need is this. And so goodness means that He always gives us what is really best for us, even if we don't like it very much. Why? Because he's holy and he's separate and there's no sin in him and he sees the end from the beginning. You, you see the pattern that's happening here? Everything we think about him, we have to think of from the perspective of holiness. Faithfulness. People struggle with trusting God. He's completely trustworthy. Why? Because he's holy. I'm just going to assume that you see where all this is going. That's why he's trustworthy, because he's holy. Gentleness, okay? The fact that God doesn't just drop the hammer on us every single time we mess up. That there's discipline, but there's love, and there's compassion, and there's care. That he's, he's not always just on the verge of just losing it. Self-control, same thing. God is holy. God doesn't just go ballistic on you one day and have to come back the next day and be like, hey, I'm sorry, I kind of lost it yesterday. Whatever. God never has to apologize for anything because He's perfect and pure and holy and other. When we, when we begin to think this way in a, in a natural rhythm, it makes all those patterns 
I mean, it makes them like really just seem quite ridiculous. But even better than that, um, when we think this way naturally, it produces in us that, that fruit that we just talked about. Like it transforms the way that we live. And so for a lot of us, you know, we get frustrated because our, our lives don't look like we know they're supposed to or like we want them to and this and this and this. And we get really, really just flustered by how much we're trying and trying and trying. I think sometimes God's like, well, okay, look, keep, you know, keep trying, but you got to understand that, like, when you put in the effort, I'm the one that empowers the effort, and I'm the one that takes care of the fruit being produced. And what Jesus says, when he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what Paul says in Romans 12, what Peter says in 1 Peter 1 is that it's the way that we're thinking, like that's the key. And so if we can understand the holiness of God drop by drop, little by little, and we can start to think of Him as being separate, but also with that, that purity, there's no sin in Him, there's no like, weird motives, there's no like, chance that He's going to turn the tables on us because He's un- unchangeable. Um, we stop projecting all of our like, trust issues and fears and all these kind of things that we have with people. We stop throwing them onto Him. We start to look at each other and say, look, this world kind of is just jacked up, but Jesus has come to fix it. And the Holy One is my shepherd. We begin to think that way. It produces the fruit that we talked about. It makes us prayerful. It makes us trusting. It makes us thirst and hunger for righteousness and, and truth. And it changes the way that, that we act and the way that we feel and the way that we interpret things. And so the last couple of weeks, I feel, I feel like God's really just been just hacking at the same tree, you know, with a different axe each time. And there's so much overlap, but I really think he's, he's really, it's really coming down to, to really, I think, challenging us as a church family to just see him for who he is. And to quit trying to make him into something that he's not. Because he's, I've already told you who I am. And I've given you access to me through the cross. And I've invited you in to you to share my life and I'll share your life. I said, you want to come after me? Just deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. I'll make you into myself. And so I think the takeaway, I think for all of us, because we're going we're gonna to shift gears next week, I think when it comes to who, who God is, I really think it comes down to asking Him to teach us how understanding His holiness impacts daily life. And learning to trust Him and go to Him and not worry about Him because He's unchanging. His holiness is something we should love and embrace and dig into, not something we should just dismiss because it's different and hard to understand. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, um, of course... Uh, 
of course, it's tough to know how to really like process, you know, some of this this stuff that we've been talking about. Because I believe it's different for all, for each one of us in the room. Um, but you are you are big enough to be able to handle that. That you are keeping the whole world uh, going, and you're t- seeing to everything. But you're also um, you're also here in this room, and you care about each of of our individual struggles with with seeing you correctly. And while we could spend months going through all the different patterns of the world in regard to you, and and while they're all wrong or faulty or whatever. Lord, I really believe that learning to understand you as holy, that that's really the key to us thinking properly about you. That everything everything else flows from your holiness. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to really just to embrace it. Embrace it. Just because it's it's big and sometimes difficult to understand doesn't mean that we aren't capable of grasping it because you're the one that teaches us in the first place. And so, um, God, I pray that you would just show us all how to apply this. As the, the patterns of the world, the, the passions of our former ignorance, the false narratives that life has, has taught each of us, as we really dig into that, Pray that you would be the one to teach us and show us. And show us how your holiness is, is something that, as we learn to think differently about you, will produce the kind of life that we've always wanted. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus who makes all this possible. That the only reason we're able to understand this and escape from those patterns is because you sent your son to the earth and his obedience has brought us life. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing and just kind of respond in this realm of thinking. And so let's just let this be an extension of what God's doing here among us.